You're listening to the Maroon Monsoon, presented by Coors Light, live from Dave & Buster's at Tempe Marketplace. Now, here's the voice of the Sun Devils, Tim Healy. Hey, we got a home football game Saturday, and we have a show in front of a live audience. Would you approve? Would you prove to everybody that this audience is live, please? Thank you very much. This is the Maroon Monsoon, and you probably figured out by now that this is not Tim Healy. It's Jeff Munn filling in for Tim. Tim will be actually on the air an hour from now with the uh, Countdown to Tip-Off show as Arizona State men's basketball takes on Virginia Commonwealth at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. So we are here in his stead. We will look back at the uh, game last Saturday in Pullman with uh, interim head coach Sean Aguano, preview Saturday's senior day and all the festivities that go with it with uh, against Oregon State. And we have special guests as well, defensive backs coach Aaron Fletcher and two of his players, Jordan Clark and Ed Woods, will join us as well. And uh, they're right there. Hi, guys. It doesn't work real well on radio just to wave and people are listening going, Is it, are they? yeah, they're really here, and they will be here on later on. So let's go ahead and get the show started. Welcome to the Maroon Monsoon, presented by Coors Light, the first quarter. And here is interim head coach at Arizona State University, Sean Aguano. Coach, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. And, you know, I'm jealous because Tim is uh, – at a basketball game, my daughter plays volleyball for VCU, and so is that uh, right? Absolutely, and I so, didn't know that. Yeah, it in uh, volleyball. Well, we could I could tell stories about my days with ASU volleyball, but uh, maybe on another show. Um, but that is that'll be a lot of fun tonight, and that and again for our listeners, it'll start with the countdown to tip off at six. Um, I did. I catched. I catch. I caught part of the game. I was on a plane to Houston with men's basketball Sunday, so. I saw part of it on my computer through Pac-12.com, and I heard your interview after the game. Uh, it sounds to me like there was just something that wasn't clicking in the first half in Pullman, and you made some adjustments, and it kind of kicked into gear in a general sense. And we'll get to talking about this, the situation with, with Trenton Bourget and the quarterback, but let's start with just the overall performance. There, there were adjustments made, obviously, at halftime. Yes, and, you know, I, I thought that uh, on all phases we, we started slow, uh, especially on the offensive side, and then we gave short fields to the, the defense. Um, and, uh, you know, that's hard, uh, especially when on an explosive offense like uh, Washington State. Washington State's defense, you can't take any credit from them, um, take away any credit from them because uh, they played a stingy defense. But uh, I thought we started off slow at halftime, um, there was adjustments. Uh, there was team adjustments with guys uh, um, making sure that uh, they're ready to play and get started uh, fast in the second half, and, and that uh, played out well. It, you know, adjustments, we hear that word a lot in, in all phases at all levels of football. I, I, I think it's – I don't think fans understand. It's not the easiest thing in the world to go in and change schemes or philosophies at halftime. You have, pretty much have to stick – with your playbook and your game plan, you can tweak some things. That's very challenging to try to make a lot of adjustments at the halftime of a football game. And, you know, you get actually about 10 minutes to make those adjustments. Right. And sometimes you have to make uh, injury adjustments, um, and your game plan uh, goes away in that case. Sometimes there's uh, scenarios where um, third down um, conversions need to be addressed, and how do we uh, play a part from the defensive side to stop the other team, and, and there is a lot of adjustments that, that take place during that halftime. You mentioned injuries, and obviously a lot of attention on the situation at quarterback. 
Update us first on Trenton Borgay's uh, status. You know, he had a contusion on his knee and, and uh, um, was very tight during the game, and, and we didn't uh, uh, think that uh, it was possible for him to be 100% uh, effective in the game. And But he has practiced uh, uh, yesterday and today, and he looks well running around, um, and so he's ready to go this Saturday. And so starting is not an issue for him for Saturday. Absolutely not. How did you feel about Emery's performance once he came in off the bench? Because when the change was made, there was a lot of discussion about, well, how will Emery handle being in the backup role, coming in at a moment's notice? How did you feel about his performance? I thought he did very well. You know, coming in uh, at 20, 30 degrees, uh, being cold out there, um, coming in as a backup when he was a starter prior. I love his maturity. um, And you know what? The conversations that we've had, he told me that he'll be ready. Um, at any time his name was called and he was ready and he came in. But it's always a difficult situation coming in as the backup. You know, I think one of the things that has been really impressive uh, since you've taken over as the interim head coach is just the, the play for the full 60 minutes. Uh, a lot of teams around the country, you get down the way ASU was down, they might just say, okay, you know, it's not our day, we'll see you next week. This team continues to fight in a battle. It's, it's not just a one-time occurrence. It's been a weekly occurrence uh, for quite a while. And I, it, the thing that is impressive about it is you really do take advantage sometimes, and I know coach is ever going to admit this on the other side, but you get out to a big lead, loss of focus is a real danger. And I, I thought your team, I did watch enough of the second half to know that, that your squad took advantage of Washington State maybe just kind of easing off the gas pedal a little bit. You know, I'm very proud of their resiliency um, and uh, in their fight and not giving up. Um, you know, we could have quit at 20, it's, uh, 30 degrees out. We're down by four touchdowns, um, but they came out and fought. And, and that's been a theme of them uh, for the last six weeks. And so um, that'll be the next two weeks. They'll come out and fight and, and do whatever's best uh, for us to win that football game. But uh, they won't quit. I know, I'm sure you and Tim talked a great deal last week about the weather in Pullman. Sometimes as fans and media, do we make too big a deal out of that? I just came from Bozeman this morning, and it's, it's by the way, if you're not with college game day in Bozeman this week, they don't want to talk to you. But it, it's cold there. But once the game starts, you kind of block that out, right? Absolutely. You know, we didn't speak about it uh, um, the whole week, and that was uh, on purpose. Uh, they got off the field. They, they knew it was a little colder. Once it's uh, once the game started, but uh, I, you know there's warmers on the sideline; they can get comfortable there. But once the game starts and adrenaline and starts going, I, I think uh, um, weather does not become a factor at all. It, it's kind of the same thing as when you went up to Boulder. You don't want to harp too much about the altitude. You just say, okay, we're going to be at mile high, but you're not going to you're not going to dwell on. It. Absolutely not. The other team has to face the same adversities, and so um, it's never an excuse. You know, it's the same thing when people uh, when teams have to come here at 115 degrees. Uh, is it an advantage for us? Yes, it is because we train in the in this environment. But uh, um, I don't think uh, it's a, it's as big as what everyone out there says it is. All right, let's look ahead to uh, Saturday. We'll get into more of the senior day aspect of Saturday's game uh, in our final segment. But I want to talk uh, the X's and O's of playing a team like Oregon State. Uh, they're having a very strong year, seven wins. They're going to go to a bowl game, and they probably have designs on going to a really nice bowl game. Uh they are a team that, when I've watched them play, I've been really impressed with the fact that they don't turn the ball over a lot. 
they can beat you both ways offensively on the ground. I think they would prefer to be a ground-oriented team. What have you? What has impressed you about them when you look at the film? They're fundamentally sound. They're steady. They don't uh, turn over the ball. Um, they want to you to run. They want to run the ball and stretch and, and stretch and then come back with with boots and then hit you long in um, bigger personnel's. They do a pretty very good job. I think defensively, they're fundamentally sound on defense. Bring some exotic blitzes like like Washington State does, but overall, they're fundamentally sound. You talk about their blitzing. They're they're also pretty big and physical. A lot of times, uh, the whole key to dealing with a blitz is knowing where it's coming from, right? I mean, it's not just a matter of if you know a blitz is coming up the middle, you can you can handle that. Yes. So the key to a blitz is not just we're sending a bunch of people. You got to disguise where it's coming from. Absolutely, and they do a good job. Um, but uh, there also there's tendencies, and that's why, uh, from a film standpoint, we understand what those tendencies are and and what their base blitzes are. And, and you know, as exotic as they want to be, we just need to make sure that uh, um, we are sound in our protection and uh, protect uh, uh, Trent. And and he does a good job getting the ball off pretty quickly. And you're, if you're able to do that, and you've been successful doing that with Trenton. Blitzes leave him with one-on-one opportunities against the defensive backs, and he anticipates anticipates very, very well. And that's that's been his uh, calling since he's been there. And, and uh, you know, the first two games at Washington and uh, at uh, Colorado, he was not sacked at all because of that. He gets rid of the ball really quickly. How did you feel about your running game in the second half at Pullman on Saturday? I thought they did a good job. You know, I thought uh, our offensive line uh, got a lot more physical. I, I thought X um, um, is having a heck of a year. And yeah. He's just a mature, physical runner. Um, he's a vocal leader on the offensive side of the ball, and he's having a great year. And then Daniel comes in and, and does a great job when he has his uh, time called. But uh, the run game, I, I'm pretty satisfied with, it, with what's going on right now. Well, I bring that up because you mentioned how Oregon State likes to pound the rock. It's almost like, okay, we're going to out-strategize you and keep you off the field by utilizing our running game to chew up time. I'm not asking you to give away a game plan here, but uh, but to me as a fan, I would say, okay, if they're going to be a power running team and they're going to try to chew up the clock and get you into situations where you're filling the box and we can exploit you down the field, you could pretty much do the same thing on offense, and that keeps them back on their sideline. Absolutely, and, you know, um, we've been playing more up-tempo football uh, the last three or four games, and so they want to keep us off the sideline. They know we have playmakers on our side, and so that running game will keep us honest. You bring up the, the up-tempo, and it reminds me of something I heard. I used to work in baseball, and a, a general manager said one time, I don't know of a single player that doesn't like to play his or her sport aggressively. They all want to play aggressively. I would assume, especially given the way your offense is operated, that your players are receptive to playing an up-tempo style because it is an aggressive form of moving the football. Absolutely, and you know it's it's playground basketball. You know right. what everybody loves to do, and and they're familiar with it because that's the type of system they came in from their high schools, um, trying to get the playmakers the football, um, trying to make a defensive tackle in space, all of those things. And so when you have athletes in the per, on the perimeter uh, making big plays, it's because they're one-on-one opportunities, and we want to turn that game into a track meet. Right, and you just brought up the the one-on-one aspect most of the up-tempo offenses whether they're rpo air raid whatever you want to call them Mm -hmm. a lot of it is rooted in getting one-on-one matchups that you can exploit absolutely and and it's all about the joes and and if you have a better uh uh, player and a better matchup usually those win and so how do you get your playmakers the football um usually is the offensive coordinator's job 80 percent of the time get your playmakers the ball nobody likes being in the role of a spoiler 
but there is an undeniable fact that you could really uh, ruin a lot of Oregon State's grand vision mm-hmm. for December or January if you get a win on Saturday. Is that something you would talk to the team about? No, I don't talk about uh, being the spoiler. I'm talking about letting our seniors go out with a win uh, and those memories and uh, concentrate on our football team more than concentrating on Oregon State um, because it's special to them. Uh, and our younger guys owe our seniors to play as hard as they can because this is the last time they're going to walk through the Tillman Tunnel and the last time they're going to play on the field. So our focus is on our seniors and going out with a win and having a great memory. And it will be Saturday at 12.15 at Sun Devil Stadium, and there are tickets available. We hope you get some because this team certainly deserves your support. These young men, student-athletes, have worked incredibly hard, as have the coaches. Our coverage will start Saturday morning at 9.45 with the tailgate show with Mitch Ferelda's countdown to kickoff at 11.15. Tim Healy will lead our broadcast uh, play-by-play at 12.15. We'll take a break here, and then our special guest will start with defensive backs coach Aaron Fletcher as the Maroon Monsoon. This is where you guys applaud because we got to get to a commercial break, and we're back after this on the Sun Devil Radio Network. Let's start the second quarter of the Maroon Monsoon, presented by Coors Light. And back at David Buster's in the Tempe Marketplace, Jeff Bunn for Tim Healy. Tim will join us at the top of the hour with countdown to tip-off. From the Barclays Center in Brooklyn as Arizona State takes on VCU in the Legends Classic. By the way, I did mention last segment, I flew in today from Bozeman, Montana. Your ASU women's basketball team 3-0. Your ASU women's basketball team 3-0. They they defeated Montana State last night, 79-64. We didn't see anybody from ESPN game day. But every time he got in a car, like a ride share, the driver asked, Are you with ESPN? And I came really close saying yeah i'm kirk herbstreet <laughs> but i didn't think it would work we welcome to this program the defensive backs coach at arizona state university aaron fletcher give him a big round of applause if you would please and welcome to the show coach thank you thank you for having me defensive backs it's it's in this day and age of football at all levels where the ball's in the air a lot defensive backs are obviously one of the most crucial spots in any football program and we were just talking off the air uh, during the commercial break, take a moment and tell me, uh, tell our fans, our listeners, uh, just how pleased you are with the development of this group. I've been really excited and, and very pleased with the development that we've had. Um, you know, when I came in in January and I got a chance to talk to the group, uh, that's what we talked about, creating a culture where we had dominant defensive backs that will help to grow the program and, and lead us to a championship culture. And I've seen those steps of uh, those steps have been happening. Uh, those guys have definitely bought into it, um, and I've, I've been really impressed with them and proud of them. And it, I think it's been reflected in the fact that going into the season, there were some question marks about the secondary, but it really has its turned out to be a strength defensively. Uh, it, it's allowed uh, defensive coordinator Donnie Henderson, as we've gone through the season, to be a little bit more liberal in how many blitzes he calls because he knows that if he leaves the secondary in single coverage, your crew is going to be able to handle it. Absolutely. We take pride in winning our one-on-one matchups. It's one of the things that we talk about doing um, and one of the things that you've been able to see with us since Coach Guano has taken over. um, He's just encouraged me to be me, (laughs) so so to speak. So we've been able to do that, and you got guys that buy in and believe in to what it is that we're doing and what we talked about and set out to do in January, and it's taken off. Uh, I had a mentor of mine send me uh, some very good encouragement for us. And I shared it with the guys here the other day. 
Um, those guys are second in pass defense right now in the conference. If you look at pass uh, defensive efficiency, and and I showed them that you know this is where you are. Now we have an expectation in regards to where we want to be when it's all said and done. Right. Um, but that's that's been really impressive. That's been really impressive. So I'm proud of those guys. Uh, Coach Fletcher comes uh, from Missouri's previous stops at the college level, Missouri and Tulsa, and you also coached uh, in high school. And it, I, I've been fascinated in the time that I've been involved with the broadcast end of things with ASU football. Defensive backs, we all watch games and we see pass interference penalties, and I think it's almost to the point. Uh, where it's like if you put a hand on somebody, they're throwing a flag. And I would think that one of the challenging things that a defensive backs coach has to teach, especially at the high school level, is what can you do, what can't you do Yes. in, in defending against a receiver. Yes. I mean, there's some obvious blatant ones, but it, like I said, it's gotten to the point now where any kind of physical contact, you're looking around and saying, is there a flag? And I would think that that really puts a lot of uh, a burden on a coach to get it across to his players. We don't want you to, to not be aggressive, yeah. but here's how you go about doing it. Yeah, I think, you know, for us, one of the things that, you know, we've been able to talk about in the room and what's been my background has been to just perfect you. Um, you don't go out there and worry about what the officials may call or what they may not call. I've always had that mindset to go out there and perfect me. And if we perfect us in our game, then we'll determine how the refs wind up calling the game. And that's one thing that we say every week. You know, you go and dictate how the game is called by perfecting your craft. And be as aggressive as you need to be. Be great in regards to the angles that you take. Um, but never, ever, you know, scale it back from what, in regards to who it is that you are. And those guys get opportunity to play to their personalities and things of that sort. So it's And they're encouraged to. And that's been big for us. So. Yeah, absolutely. And we're talking with ASU defensive backs coach Aaron Fletcher on the Maroon Monsoon. The other thing that uh, everything has to work in concert with one another. Linebackers, front, the front seven and the defensive backs have to work together. And that, too, is something that maybe the fans or somebody like myself when I'm upstairs in the press box, we don't recognize right away. But there has to be a symmetry between the different, the front line, the linebackers, the secondary, and especially in terms of assignments. To me, that's that's the part that if I tried to do that, I'd never be able to remember where am I supposed to line up. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, one of the greatest things that, uh, that I've seen coaches do in the past that I really admire is being able to put guys in the right positions to be able to go quarterback things from the defensive backfield. Um, so that was one of the big things that I did. Uh, credits to like a guy like Jordan Clark right um, you know moving him to a different position to where he's able to quarterback some things for us on the back end as well and it ties into what it is that we do up front has been very key for us you know and then just always talking about versatility and we'll have those dynamics in the room where we talk about you know how you're supposed to be in this position what if you were or are the defensive end? What do you do? What do you line up like? You know, so those guys have an understanding of what it is, so they can understand run fits and things of that sort too. And now they take pride in the learning part. That's the high school coach in me, just being yeah. a teacher from you know by trade. You know, that's what I've been able to do. Uh, those guys have definitely bought into it, and and it's, it's worked out really well for us. How challenging is it for a defensive back 
to move position, say from safety to DB, because there's a whole different set of responsibilities. Let's just take the safety position. Mm-hmm. There's a whole different set of responsibilities for a safety as opposed to a true defensive back. Yeah. I, you know, they'll probably laugh at me for saying this, but they always hear me talk about everybody's a defensive back. <laughs> there's not a difference between, you know, the corner, the nickel, or the safety, or the dime defensive back as well. Right. Um, we always talk in general terms, we always talk versatility. Um, that's why you've been able to see these guys go and play multiple positions. You know, you've seen Ed Woods go play inside. You've seen Jordan Clark go play inside and outside. You know, you can see somebody like Ro Torrance go play inside and outside. And, and, and we always talk about that because typically the thinking part is always on the defense. Well, sometimes when we line up Jordan and we line up Roe and you see Chris Evans somewhere, we want those guys to be able to say, uh, he's usually right here, you know. Right. <laughs> so we want to make sure we mix those things up as well, and those guys can always have the matchups favorable to us. For your defensive backs, you're reading, your DBs are reading things that the offense, when they come to the line of scrimmage, they're reading things as much as the front seven is, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, we always talk about the game being played before the ball is snapped, so... We always look at that, you know, seeing where the ball is placed. Um, then you see the formation, realizing what the call is and knowing where your designed help is and, and those dynamics. Those guys are doing a really, really good job of understanding those things right there and then just going to go react. And and one of the breakdowns in, in breaking down film for your DBs, do you, you take a look at the way the quarterback is at the snap is looking and he looks one direction, he's going to go there, or if he looks – that way he's actually going to go that way. I'm sure there's a lot of that that goes on in your game preparation when you're looking at film of your opponent. Absolutely. You, you get a chance to see tendencies that these guys have. Um, and a lot of times you can look at, you know, those coaches' backgrounds and see what it is that those guys have done and what they've been able to do in their past, who they've sat under, and things of that sort. So those things kind of carry over as well. So, you know, you get, you get a chance to watch film and, and dissect those little things offensively. And it, and it always works to your advantage uh, from a defensive standpoint. We've talked about uh, extensively about the passing aspect of defense. How do you feel your, your crew has done in terms of defending the run? I think they've done really well. Um, I've <laughs> it's funny because we have a joke inside the defensive back room. Uh, I have two guys that actually think they're linebackers, you know, <laughs> Jordan Clark and Corey Bethley, <laughs> you know, those guys. So they've been really involved in the run game. Um, and, and it's been really good. I think those guys, if you watch them, uh, they, their fits are unlike any others. You know, those guys with a lot of what it is that we wind up doing, you ask those guys to go make tackles, you know, uh, and that gap is not like the typical linebacker's gap. It's not an A to, a to B gap type of fit. Those right. guys are fitting from one hash to the next, and they do a really, really good job of that. You know, I think Corey is also one of the leading tacklers in the conference as well. So those, those guys do a really good job. So I'm, pr- I'm proud of those guys. That's a real change, too. And I'm going back a ways because uh, I've been involved with football for more years than I want to count as an announcer. But I had a friend of mine tell me one time, and this is going back to the 80s, if your DBs are leading your team in tackles against the run, that's an issue. But now, in in this day and age, uh, it's all out pursuit. So if you look at the stat sheet at the end of the night, and yet you, you have a defensive back or a safety in on a lot of run stops, that's a good thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and if you look at that, the game, you're playing the game in so much space now. 
um, things that we used to see uh, back then, um, you know, they're, we call them perimeter run plays, you know, with the RPOs that are happening in the game right now. Right. Those are considered run plays, you know, the bubbles and things of that sort. Those are just like sweeps that we knew back in the day. Right. Um, and those guys have to go make those tackles in space. So you'll see those guys making a lot more tackles than what we've seen in the past. You know, it didn't even happen in the run and shoot era, you know, because guys didn't have the space that they're playing with now. So I think almost as you look at it right now, just to be able to have those defensive backs be able to be productive in that area, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a must. You have to have guys that can do that and excel in space. Here's the, here, and you're bringing up things, and I'm thinking of questions as we go through this. You mentioned uh, matchups. You can, as a defensive coach, uh, Coach Guano was talking about when you run up tempo, you're trying to get one-on-one matchups that you can exploit. But it also works on the defensive side. You can line your defense up to get any matchup situation against a receiver that favors your defensive back, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's one of the things, that's that's the culture we've created and we'll continue to work on creating is uh, making sure uh, because – Teams are limited in what it is that they do when they are going fast. So we want to make sure that we excel um, and there's zero defects in that sense. You know, with us, when we talk about the back end in regards to our matchups. So we want to make sure that we can find those guys. And those guys do enough film study. Uh, and that's another thing I'm really proud of those guys in regards to what it is that they do um, to where they understand where certain guys are and what it is that they do. And now we're negating things that they do well. So I, I really love that part of the game. And at the end of the day, it's the old adage, when that ball goes in the air, it's as much your defensive back's ball as it is the receiver's. It's ours. <laughs> I like that. It's ours. I like that approach. Coach, I appreciate you coming on with us this Thank week. I, I'm glad that we had a chance to talk a little bit. I hope our fans learned a little bit more about what goes on in the defensive secondary for a game. And I agree with you. I think your, your DBs have performed very, very well this year. Thank you. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for having us. Defensive backs coach Aaron Fletcher with us on the Maroon Monsoon. Two of his outstanding defensive backs, Jordan Clark and Ed Woods, join us next on the Maroon Monsoon right here on the Sun Devil Radio Network. This is the Maroon Monsoon presented by Coors Light, the third quarter. And we continue to talk about defensive backs with two of our outstanding defensive backs at Arizona State. Please welcome to the program Jordan Clark and Ed Woods. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Well, it's great to have you guys. And you just reminded me, because I don't remember these things, I hosted a show last year that you were on when I was filling in for Tim. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I mean, I mean it's, I'm, I'm glad, but I just I was joking with Jordan. I said, I'm all out of questions, Jordan. I asked them all last year, so I don't know if we really have anything to discuss. I'm only kidding. Uh, I am going to start with you. Uh, Coach Fletcher was just up here talking about the kind of year your unit has had. Mm-hmm. And uh, fans can see the progression of this defensive backfield. How do you feel about the way you've progressed as a unit this year? I'm super excited, super optimistic about uh, the time that we still have. Uh, I feel that just with the culture that we've created in the room and the work that we put in to, um, you know, just begin to move things in the right direction, I think that it's all um, been paying dividends for us, and I'm excited to, to see where it goes. All right, Ed, you're up. How do you feel about the way the unit has progressed from the start uh, of the season? To I now? think we have uh, progressed well. I think we have uh, finally have accepted coaching and uh, not been, like, basically – not asking for coaching and just being coachable. 
I should mention, too, that they went easy on me this week because Jordan's major is communications, Ed's major is sports journalism. So this will be just a very nice, easy interview for me to do with uh, two student-athletes who know all about the value of communication. Let's, um, Coach Fletcher, Coach Bono, we've been talking a lot tonight about one-on-one matchups for defensive backs. This, to me, would be a, an exciting challenge as a, as a player to get into a situation where you know as you come as the offense comes to the line of scrimmage, you're going to get a one-on-one matchup with somebody that you could probably take advantage of. Uh, I, let me start with Jordan. How do you how do you feel in a situation like that? You know a lot. You've seen film on an opponent. Then when they come out in the formation, you say to yourself, "Well, this is a situation. I think I can get something done here." It's mm-hmm. that has to be exciting. Oh, yeah, it's definitely it's a great feeling um, whenever the things that you see on film, uh, you know, come to fruition actually in the game. Um, and when you get those opportunities, when you get those chances, you have to seize the opportunity. You have to make that play because they don't come uh, very often. And, Ed, the, the thing about it, Coach Fletcher was also talking about how important and all football teams will look at film before a game. But you have to pick up as a defensive back. You've got to pick up tendencies of that quarterback on the other side uh, and know kind of which way he's going to go most of the time. That's that's a big part of the film breakdown, isn't it? Uh, I think it is. The quarterback is a big part of the, the film breakdown, but one thing that we uh, our coaches harp a lot is if you, you see the quarterback throw the ball, you're going to watch the receiver catch the ball. So most of the time... That's uh, a good point. We try, to, try to, we try to basically keep our eyes on the quarterback a little bit, but hopefully basically focus on our man. That's basically going to take us to the route. Sun Devil defensive backs, Jordan Clark and Ed Woods join us on the Maroon Monsoon. I was talking with Coach Fletcher, too, in our last segment about modern-day pass defense. And when fans watch a game, if they see a defensive back just touch a receiver as the ball's coming toward them, you almost automatically are looking around, is somebody going to throw a flag? How challenging is it? Obviously, you work on the technique of defending, I'm going to use the basketball term, defending without fouling. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's something that takes a lot of practice to develop that skill, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, but at the, at the end of the day, we play football, and football is an aggressive physical game. Uh, what we preach in our room is we kind of let the referees know what type of game is going to be from the jump, you know what I'm saying? So it's not a surprise or anything like that. From the first play, we're going to play the game super physically. And I think that affects the way that the referee calls it down the line because it's not a change in aggression or, or physicality. That's how the game has been played the entire time. That's an interesting point, and Ed, it, uh, because in some ways, you might uh, a fan might say, well, the DB has to adjust to the way the referees are calling the game. But as Jordan just explained, it's the reverse. You kind of dictate to them, okay, this is the way we're defending against the pass. Yes, that is true, something that, it, that we do harp a lot. If you uh, come out the game physical establishing what you want the game to be called like, then that's basically without the game they can call. They both you see both they basically see you and receiver being physical. The uh, the aspect of run defense, let's talk about that for a minute, because that's also something that I think has really progressed over the course of the season. Uh, as a play is developing, and I'll start with Jordan on this, you have a split second to kind of recognize what are they doing and where are they going. And as I said 20, 30 years ago, the responsibility for run defense is the front seven. But you guys are just as involved in it as the guys up front nowadays, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
you know, just physicality on the perimeter is so important, like Coach Fletch said, uh, with the screen game, which is basically perimeter run now. Um, so really just in our defense, in our rooms, you know, if, if you're not willing to tackle, you can't be in there. We don't want you to be in there because that's just such a such an important part of what we do and what our identity is as a defense. So we try to uphold that standard. And, and Ed, I, I, I watch the defense play, and I notice the pursuit to the ball. And that's what it becomes. It's at the snap of the ball, if you see it's going to be a screen or a run play, whether it's off tackle or going wide of the tackles, that immediate, that immediate pursuit's got to kick in. Yes, uh, that is something that we try to tell every, all the guys in the room, uh, 11 guys to the ball, because that's the best way that good things happen when guys run to the ball, force fumble, cover fumble, anything can happen. Jordan uh, Clark, Ed Woods joining us on the Maroon Monsoon. Okay, Jordan's a communications major. Ed is majoring in sports journalism, and I always like to talk to the student athletes about their studies. And I'm going to start with Ed on this. We were talking a moment ago. Uh, there isn't a, in this day and age, print journalism. There aren't a lot of people going into the print end of things. So when you say sports journalism, my first thought is you're looking at a career perhaps ESPN. In ESPN. I think I want to work for ESPN. <laughs> you know, football doesn't go out, turn out the way I want it to go. Well, why not? I mean, you've got playing experience and. Uh, certainly, you can get. I, I we see players all the time make that transition. Whether it's in a studio, would you prefer to work in a studio or do games? Uh, games, because I think that's just going the environment. Just, I think I basically make me feel like I'm playing a game again because all the fans are yelling and all that. Yeah, I would think that being up uh, in the press box, you have such a high view of the field. As a defensive back, you could watch things unfold and say to yourself, okay, I see what they're doing, and that's part of what you convey to the audience. Yes. So that's I, I think that's, a, a, first of all, I wish you the best with it. I hope you don't have to make that decision for about 10 years if you've had a good long playing career at the pro level. Jordan, in terms of communications, give us an idea of what specifically, when you've completed your studies, where, it, where you'd like to use that degree. I would like to go into broadcasting um, myself. Uh, you know, hopefully work for somewhere like ESPN or uh, just really, you know, any any platform where I can speak about important issues or, you know, get into things with sports. You know, I haven't really decided specifically what I'd like to do yet, but I would definitely like to go into broadcasting. In this day and age, you can do both. Yeah. You know, and I, I think there's a lot of examples of people in media today that they do sports is basically how they pay the bills, mm -hmm. but they do have opportunities to get on a social platform and talk about things that are important to society as well. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That would be definitely a dream come true for me. And uh, it's certainly, and as I say, uh, and, and we're very blessed here at Arizona State, and I talk about the Cronkite School all the time, that I remember when I was a student, the, the curriculum for communications broadcast was not as nowhere near as strong as it is today. And the Cronkite School, and if, you, if our fans have not been there, they need to go and see it. It is absolutely amazing. It's downtown. But there are so many great opportunities. You look at the amount of Cronkite alums that are working in the broadcast field. That has to give you a lot of confidence. Yes, too. I have noticed uh, a lot of Cronkite uh, alumni in uh, business. One, one will be uh, Matt Perry, I think. Matt Perry at ESPN, Perry. yeah. yeah. We're trying to get him to come on the, the tailgate show the day that uh, you guys go down in Tucson and play whoever that is down there. 
uh, and I'm we're working on it. He's got a he's going to be in a plane that day, but he said if I'm out of the plane in time to be on the show, I'd love to come on. But I can cite a ton of examples, and, and I'll turn to you, Jordan. Uh, people in the news business, people in the in the sports field, uh, in broadcasting, and that's all a result of, of all the great education you get coming out of the Cronkite School. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, even with kids that I know that are that are still currently, you know, working with the Cronkite Cronkite School, um, you know, just student journalism, you know, asking us questions in, in interview rooms, having access to that. Um, I know they have like their own show that they have that they run. You know, what I'm saying so being able to put those things into a portfolio. Um, and, and bring that to a business and bring that to a broadcasting, uh, you know, channel and say, I've done all of these things already. Look how well I'm prepared. That definitely gives you a leg up on the competition. That's a great point, too, because uh, Cronkite students do have a very big role in the day-to-day uh, coverage of ASU sports. Ed, when you've been interviewed, and, and I, I'm not trying to call out any names from Cronkite, but when you're talking to a Cronkite student, and they ask you a question, is there a thing in your mind you say, boy, if that was me, I wouldn't ask that? Uh, nah, I think uh, they're just basically just asking questions, just trying to get to know us, just see what's on my own. I never really had a question that made me feel uncomfortable. Well, that's outstanding. Jordan, have you ever had a situation where you thought, okay, what kind of question was that? Yeah, that normally comes from the adults, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's absolutely right. It usually comes from the adults. Uh and we've got to work on that, certainly. But uh, I think it's just fascinating that, that the both of you are targeting a career at ESPN. And as I, I can tell you, there, especially in terms of broadcast, there's no such thing as you can't do it. You certainly can. And, and any goal that you, you aspire to in the broadcast field is very much within your reach. And, I, you know, 40 years ago, I didn't think I'd be in this business. But somehow I fooled enough people to get in. So, listen, I appreciate you guys coming by. Good luck on Saturday, and uh, we're looking forward to it. And thanks for being with us this evening. Appreciate Appreciate it. it. Jordan Clark and Ed Woods. And I'd say uh, they've got a pretty good future ahead of them both in communicating in mass media. We'll come back with our final segment with Coach Iguano right after this on the Sun Devil Radio Network. The fourth quarter is next on the Maroon Monsoon, presented by Coors Light. And we're back with ASU interim head football coach Sean Aquano. A reminder, Tim will be with you at the top of the hour for countdown to tip-off as ASU takes on VCU at the Legends Classic at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. Senior day. And this is something that you obviously have a lot of experience with from your head coaching days in high school. Get players to that last moment, and it's like you grind through the course of a season from practices and the summer heat. And then all of a sudden, it's senior day, and you think, where's the time gone? It flies by in a lot of respects, doesn't it? Absolutely. And, you know, um, you try to cherish those moments that you had with practice and in the games, and now it's their, their last game. And, you know, there's a lot of emotions on their side, and there's a lot of emotions from our side as, as well as coaches because you've seen them grow um, over the years. And uh, and then their parents are there as well. And so yeah. it, it is bittersweet, however, that uh, – Going away with coming away with a win would would be a, a great memory for these guys. Yeah, and talk about that too because you've been in the program for a number of years. So a lot of these players, uh, you've had relationships with going back way before you took over as interim head coach. Yes, and going back four years, uh, now the seniors that are um, here, they came in when I came in, and so I've been uh, through the battles with them uh, through the 115 degree running and and uh, practices and and just to watch them grow. 
and becoming great young men um, is gratification for us as coaches. Saturday will kick off at 12.15. Our coverage will start at 9.45. Getting back to, to football for a moment, because I, I've been meaning to ask my cohorts on the pregame show this, and I'm not going to be on the pregame show the rest of the year, so I won't get the chance. We've seen a large number of instances, both in the college and pro game this year, of going for it on fourth down. Now, I know you said when you took over as interim head coach that you would be a little bit more aggressive and a little bit more daring. But in a general sense, when you talk to other coaches, what is the thinking behind the change in attitude toward fourth down? You know, more and more there's a sequencing that goes in with the offensive coordinator side. And so... When I say, talk about sequencing is how do I go and sequence my plays that you have four downs? Uh, usually it's three downs, and then you figure out if you're going to kick it, uh, uh, punt it, or field goal. But now it's they're sequencing for four downs. And so once you get to a certain area on the field, it becomes a sequencing because you know from an analytic standpoint and from a gut feeling that you're going to go for it in two, for, I mean, go for it on fourth. But... Uh, a lot of it is by um, gut feeling, um, and if we, I feel that I have confidence in what we're doing, we're going to go for it and for it. And it gives the kids an, an idea how aggressive that you want to be as well. That's a great point. I remember uh, years and years ago when Joe Bugle was the head coach of the Cardinals, uh, he went for it on a fourth down and won it, and they didn't get it. And he was asked after the game, why did you do that? And he said, if we can't get a yard, we probably shouldn't even be out there to begin with. And it, it's it, – there are certain – situations deep in your own territory mm-hmm. fourth and six where it's just like no you're not going to do that sure but it seems to be that the area where you will consider it is widened out maybe fourth and three maybe at your 40 yard line that maybe you're a little bit more open to the idea of okay let's go ahead and go for it is that a fair assessment yeah it is and i think more and more head coaches are offensive coaches and so that too um, you know and so from an aggressive standpoint you're always looking at it from the offensive side sometimes you have to step back though and make sure that you're not putting the defense at a disadvantage going for it all the time and then they're playing on a short field and so i i struggle with that sometimes because i'm an aggressive person and i want to make sure that i go for it um and and my kids will execute that because we practiced it throughout the throughout the week but there is also the component that you're telling your defense look i have confidence in you that if we don't get this if we're at our 45 and it's fourth and two and we don't get it i have confidence in you to keep them from marching down to the other end zone absolutely and from the defensive side they see your aggressiveness they understand well coach is going for the win and right. uh, and i've told them um you know the amount of times we went forward in two for two uh, points um uh, after a touchdown the amount of times I went for a fourth down, we have nothing to lose. We're going to go for the win right. at all costs. And that's the other thing. I know that in mo- in a lot of playbooks, there are specific plays for a two-point conversion. Yes. Do you have, again, not asking you to give things away, do you have specific plays in the playbook for fourth and two or three? Absolutely, because now we have a, a, play, a plan on the call sheet that is it's sequenced fourth downs. And so when you get to a certain area, and let's say the analytics in your gut says uh, uh, let anything less than three. And so when you sequence those plays and, and it becomes a fourth and two situation, it's an automatic go. And so you sequence those plays in order to get to four downs. Um, when do you start? You Obviously, you tell your special teams people, maybe on third down, okay, don't run out there right away. We absolutely. may decide. And our special teams coordinator, uh, Coach Slocum, is on the, the phones with us. So, so he hears um, – Anything, everything that comes through from a 
uh, information standpoint that's coming from the top, from an analytical standpoint, and then I'll, I'll let them know I'm going to go. I'm going to sequence and I'm going to go for four, uh, four down. And so he understands where we're at. And so when he puts his group of special teams, if it's a punt or a field goal, he'll get them ready based upon my decisions that I'm making throughout that uh, uh, play calling and then series. Once you get done with third down, that decision's got to be just, okay, we're going. Absolutely. And if we if, if we hit the, the mark, let's say if it's a fourth and three or less, and we've hit that mark, we're, it's an automatic go. Okay. Because that, that, the other question that would raise with, with me is how much debate is going on. There can't be a lot of debate amongst the coaches on the headsets. And you're the final say, we're going, we're not going. But at what point do you start talking about it? If you're at midfield and it's second and eight, does that when the discussion starts, okay, look, if we get to fourth and three, here's what we're doing? The, the discussion uh, and the information come uh, constant on every uh, earned first down. So I know exactly what it is on every earned first down. And we go back to the debate side of it. There is no debate. I'm just making a decision right, right then and there. And so um, the coaches understand that uh, I'll make a, a decision, a, um, an analytical decision. Um, but uh, a lot of it will be based on my uh, gut feeling of it as well. We talked with, about DBs tonight. And I raised this question to Coach Fletcher, to Jordan, and to Ed. It's got to be frustrating as a head coach that you run certain plays, you've defended the play well in terms of your defensive backs, here comes a flag. You just put a hand on a guy, and as a, as a fan or as a broadcaster, I admit, I'm kind of looking around going, sure. okay, somebody's going to throw something. It's, it, you have to fight the temptation to just lose your temper sometimes on the sideline. That, okay, what's a foul, what's not a foul? You know, I've been a, a head coach long enough to understand that a, a, the referee will never pick up his flag. Right. And so once a call is called, um, there's no sense uh, um, getting after him because they won't pick up the call. And so the more you get after him, the more you know, uh, there's, there's that uh, uneasiness between you and the referees. And so we just got to understand that we need to play good, fundamental, clean football on third down to not get those penalties. And if they do throw it, they threw it. Now let, it, I always have the what's next mentality. So right. it's what's next, it's first down. But is in the back of my mind, is it frustrating? It's it's very frustrating. But at, there's no chance of turning it or overturning the call. So there's no sense worrying about what just happened. But I thought Jordan and Ed made an interesting point. They can dictate to the referees, in a way, how to call things in the backfield based on how physical they're playing. Especially physical at the beginning of the game. So right. you'll get, you'll understand that if you're physical at the beginning of the game and uh, they're very handsy with any handsy calls, you know that you, you can't be handsy going down the stretch. If, they're, if it's a bang-bang calls, meaning that uh, the, the, the hit and the ball reaches at the same time and they're, they're letting that play, then you can be a little bit more aggressive. But you have to play the referees in that, in that situation. I've enjoyed the chat. I, I wish we had more time, but uh, you got to go get ready for a football game. Absolutely. Thanks, Thanks Coach, for being with I appreciate it, Jeff. Thank you. You got it. Interim head coach Sean Agano with us on the Maroon Monsoon. Now stay right where you are because the voice of the Sun Devils, Tim Healy, is coming up next with the countdown to tip-off show leading into Sun Devil men's basketball uh, against VCU at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. Saturday, join us. Tailgate show 945 with Mitch Fereldis. Countdown to kickoff at 1115, kickoff at 1215. Get some tickets, come out and support this football team because they deserve your support. Till next Wednesday when we preview that game against some team down south. For Tim Healy, I'm Jeff Munn. Thanks for being with us on the Maroon Monsoon, a presentation of the Sun Devil Radio Network.